You're listening to Series 2 of the Sustainable and Resilient Cities podcast. My name is Abby O'Connor and I'm a PhD student in sociology. And my name is Ronnie Hughes, also a PhD student in sociology. And we are your co-hosts for this series. And in this series, we're going to be discussing navigating our way through doing PhDs in a global pandemic. And all that that might entail with all kinds of people. everyone. Today we're joined by two fellow sociology PhD students. Here with us we've got Leah Molyneux and Adele Moore. Both Leah and Adele have just started their PhDs in our department in circumstances which of course are less than comfortable. Um, Adele's research focuses on contraceptive and reproductive rights through a case study approach whereas Leah's work explores police discretion. And we're going to talk a little bit about the changes they've had to make to their projects before even getting started and how the various issues that the pandemic has thrown up has made more visible things which will be explored in their work. We're also going to flip this episode around a bit and give Leah and Adele a chance to ask us as PhD veterans any questions or talk about any apprehensions that they might have, some of which we think might be relevant to other students. So hi, both of you. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, before we start, let's just check in. How, how are you both getting on? Hi, uh, thanks for having us. Um, yeah, I'm good, thank you. Uh, I feel like I'm slowly getting used to PhD life and COVID. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, hi, I'm just mulling along lately, loving it, yeah. getting used to it, like Adele said. And in a way, between you, the, the two of you, you're a picture of university life. Adele, I can see that you are in a room of your own. And, and Leah, I can see that you're in the university. So how is that yes. university? It's not, I'm basically in the university because my parents haven't worked on, on the house. Um, so it's an absolute bomb site at the minute. Um, so can't work there at all. So they've allowed me to use this PGR suite and it's absolutely dead here. Like I come in, I haven't seen a soul. No one comes in. And it's actually pretty great. I'm enjoying it. I like it. <laughs> yeah. I love it all to myself, like the whole room. Own, Just yeah. love pacing it. Okay, Adele, let's begin with you. Uh, could you, in a couple of minutes, give us a very quick overview of your proposed well now real project please yeah my proposal was like a continuation of my master's dissertation and that was an exploration of like lived experiences of women using contraception um but like long acting versus so like the pill coil injections stuff like that um i really enjoyed it like really enjoyed researching uh, there was a lot of interviews and um, stuff like that and it went really well. And Nicole Vitaloni said, you know, why don't we just carry it on? We could do it as a PhD if you want. And I really liked the idea of contraception as a form of self-experimentation. Um, so I carried that on and it was going to be like an exploration of a case study of a, a clinic in Liverpool. It was going to be a lot of hands-on stuff, a um, big case study. And yeah, basically just looking at the way that contraceptive knowledge is built based on information that women get from doctors, GPs, uh, clinics, internet, friends, and how they sort of interpret this into their own knowledge and then what they do with that. So like contraceptive practice as well, the way it's used for other things and stuff and how women can kind of change it about to be their own sort of thing. It was really interesting. It's something that I've always been able to talk to people about and people are so keen to chat to you about it when you start. So I just really liked it and it worked really well for a PhD idea. So that was my original um, proposal. Fab. Um, okay, so Leah, can you tell us a bit about yours then, please? 
Yeah, of course. So I'm working with the College of Policing and I'm mainly looking at the relationship between sergeants and the police officers they supervise, specifically looking at how much influence sergeants have over how police officers understand and operationalize discretion. Now, discretion can kind of refer to the decisions or actions police officers make within different contexts. For example, whether they um, decide to give someone a ticket or left them off with a warning. So I'm kind of hoping that my research will give us a better understanding of not only the role of sergeants in that process, but discretion itself. And I'll be using observation, well, hoping to use observation methods. So obviously you guys started pre, pre-COVID, right? But you started your PhDs, you know, in October. So have you both made changes already or like I'm just really interested in this process because I th- we spoke about this on the podcast before yeah, where yeah. I buried my head in the sand for quite a few months with regards to my methods and and was like oh no it's fine it'll blow over like you know come come autumn we'll be fine and obviously that hasn't happened so did you guys kind of come in in October knowing and having had conversations with your supervisors about what needed to be changed or are you slowly kind of processing that now? Like, Yeah, so I started, obviously I found out that I'd got the scholarship in like April yeah. um, and they said, do, do you want to write a contingency plan? That's just one of the things we've got to do. And I remember writing it up like, oh, this is just so like, this is not going to be needed. I was <laughs> like, oh yeah, I'll do it all online. I'll, I didn't think it was going to be needed. Mm. And then it slowly got further and further into it. And obviously because I'm working with a clinic, speaking to them, they were like, look, this is, I really don't know where we're going to go with this. So I came into it in October and I was like, I'm not even sure if I'm going to be able to do a partnership with them because they just said um, all their staff had been redeployed. They're all working in the COVID wars. Everything was just so up in the air with them that I was like, right, I need to really start thinking because I might even be able to work with them. I've now actually changed my project so much that it's actually kind of centred around COVID. It's not looking at experimentation so much anymore. It's actually more about access um, because in March we realised that when everything obviously went into lockdown they had very little time to actually restructure everything and the access now for contraception is just so like on the ground it's just awful but that's where the research has changed to and it's a lot more needed to be there now so it was kind of lucky that even though I've changed my project it kind of feels like this is a needed piece of work like it's still at first I was like oh god like experimentation is it really valid right now like do we even need contraception right now like what's the point of this and everything and I did start to feel a bit like I had a couple of weeks where I was just like oh my god like what the hell am I gonna do but um no I spoke to um the clinic themselves and they just said access is what you need to look into like the way that it's affected how people access contraception has just been awful it's been such a top-down approach um so it's kind of driven me to change the methods and change everything it's kind of made me realize like right it's changed the way we access contraception and it's going to change the way that I'm going to research it which kind of feels like right it it feels kind of right that I'm going to be doing it under COVID because this is exactly what I'm researching so it took a bit of time to accept it definitely but now that I've done it and now that I've changed my methods I'm happier with it in a sense Mm -hmm. wow it's really interesting because it's like it it kind of speaks to everything that, that we that we're talking about on this and that we're wanting to showcase that COVID's been so so difficult in so many ways, but PhD students are really at the forefront of having to, to because obviously it's affecting so many aspects of, of, of the social world, right? And like Leah will go on to talk about how it's affecting yours, which is a completely different project. 
um, that you do need that obviously it's going to be central. And I think it's a really difficult kind of dynamic because I definitely found it politically quite problematic personally, because COVID had to become a, and will become a big part of my research, but I definitely didn't want to just jump on that bandwagon that like a lot of academics are jumping on. Like I think politically, I definitely found that quite a, a, quite a tension, but actually we are at the point now where it, it, it's just the part of our lives. And if you're doing research now, and if it's empirical research, you, you, you can't ignore that. Yeah. So, I th- and I think like the way that you've gone about it, Adele, is really impressive, especially to kind of make that, not to use the UKRI's term pivot in a podcast, but you have made that pivot pretty seamlessly. I know you said you had a few weeks where it felt quite yeah, difficult, yeah. but no, it's really good. Leah, okay, t- tell us about yours. Yeah, well, just going from what you were saying just then, I think always with research it's really hard to separate and what you're researching from the time and context in which you're researching it so it's kind of like because the pandemic is such this big thing it's hard to try and shut the door on that you have to kind of let it in and go with it I think for me and Adele in particular like starting out in October time is a little bit more on our side because we're in the stage at the minute where we can just we're meant to be reading through things, thinking through things, feeling through things in terms of methodology and stuff. So it's not like we have to rush, 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 rush for me anyway. I know Adele obviously has completely changed it. For me, I haven't been told specifically I need to change something or not yet. And maybe I'm in denial at the minute, but I haven't thoroughly said, no, I'm not doing observation anymore. Um, I don't even know, like, what does ethnography look like during COVID? And that's something I really, really need to think about. I love your thoughts on that, whether you have any thoughts on that at all. I mean, like, look, it's probably not a thought that you want to hear, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) Part of my methodology (laughs) is ethnographic observations. And I just scrapped it. I just couldn't, because basically I was doing it in the council, I was doing it in the city council and they all shifted online and I was like, oh, there's an element of the fact that like I can still observe these meetings, right? I was, right. And I just couldn't, like it just didn't work online. Like they, they instead of actually having conversations like they do in the chamber, they, um, they just passed motions um, mm-hmm. straight through for obvious reasons. So I just... I don't think I've actually officially taken that out of my methodology. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But I've just kind of come to the conclusion. But that's a very different type yeah. of type of ethnography, also. It wasn't mm. central to my project. But um, equally, right. as you said, you you you're both in the thinking things through stage as yeah. much as doing it. And mm. though we've now come through a year of like two major lockdowns in Liverpool and then whatever whatever level three was, I think you're going to actually, you know, all fingers and toes crossed, I think you're going to actually do your ethnography yeah. under different circumstances, but it will be in a changed world. You know, we won't, 100%. I think we will be much more conscious of infections and all of that. So you probably, you'll do your, you'll do your ethnographies and your observations in a version of this world, but yeah. it won't be the same. So it won't alter the kind of things I'd be said. Yeah, I think that's the um, thing is like for you guys, uh, not to make out that you guys have like the best of a bad situation, but like <laughs> the, the, obviously like this, this, this new world will have settled a bit more, hopefully by the time that you guys come to, come to be doing your field work, which I think was, was something that certainly for, for us that were second years when it hit and are now third years, that was something that 
we just we couldn't wait right so we had to change everything we had to make cancellations we had to switch it all online whereas i think for you guys hopefully there is a little bit more time for it to settle although maybe your supervisors will will not like us for saying that that's not advice that was just me mm-hmm. saying that leah i'm really interested and this might be such a curveball question that you you don't want to talk about and that's fine we can edit it out but obviously you your your project yours is a case studentship right so the project was con- conceptualized before how has the or, or has the Black Lives Matter movement and, and the eruption of that had an impact on on the way in which you're approaching your research or, or the way in which your partnership with the College of Policing has changed? Thanks for that question, Abby. The pandemic and specifically the Black Lives Matter movement have kind of highlighted and exasperated many issues within the police. I think now there's more of a spotlight on the police and there's definitely more of a feeling within the college. Um, I have sat on a couple of conferences and stuff like that and there is a feeling that this is something they really need to pay attention to and not just that, that they want to pay attention to as well. It's like inescapable now and it's so important to have these conversations and it is very much at the forefront of my mind and I like that because before the Black Lives Matter movement or before the pandemic, obviously race is always an important issue but in these things sometimes people cast it off or it's a side note but right now I think it's really the center of people's attention really has to be woven into the very fabric of what I'm gonna say what I'm gonna look for Mm. and what I'm gonna research I'm really interested about how you how you feel about like obviously because you know we all we all you guys did sociology and crim at, at Liverpool right so we've all done the modules around how problematic the police is in it as an institution mm-hmm. and and we all have our opinions on that how do you level that like how, how do you feel about doing research is is it critical research like or is it you know t- tell us a bit about that I'm just really intrigued I, I know exactly what you mean I think there definitely is an inner battle going on with obviously if I do do the ethnography when I'm around police officers every day what I can say what I can't say what I want to say how I want to take things no it is it is something that you have to battle with any anyway I think that the issue for me is like how how critical can I be how far can I take it I don't know whether I'm allowed to even say this you know, because it is a partnership with the police, I, ha- I have to take on board what they want as well. And then that's in contrast with what I think about. But obviously, I'm an open-minded person. I'm going to take whatever I say and be very critical of it. Um, I can't separate my own values, my own thoughts and feelings, but also it is important to see the inner workings of what's going on and really think about, okay, how can we change this for the better? Obviously, there's the abolition movement as well as you both probably know about on Adele as well but right now that's not really um I don't think that's like a really huge thing like no one's pushing for that majorly so what we have to work with what we've got basically we have to reform what we have um I'd rather be a part of that than not yeah yeah I think I think this is like such a savage question to ask you I'm so sorry um off the cuff I just think that what we're speaking about here speaks to much wider issues for for PhD students more generally and it definitely depends on mm-hmm. on where your funding comes from so for example my, yeah. mine mine mine's the ESRC but it's not a case studentship right so I don't have a partnership and I'm not accountable to any 
any partnership, whereas you three are, right? Like all three of you are. Yeah, you yeah. are as well. Yeah, yeah. But I think, and I think that that's not to say that case, obviously case studentships are great and they're great for many different reasons. And I think the parameters that they put on research sometimes is actually easier to kind of deal with as a student than than, than set in your own, as I've found. But I think that one of the problems with academic research or one of the tensions that exists for everyone is is who they're speaking to and, and where their research goes, right? And, and we all know that to, to be able to do research, you have to have funding, but you have to have some trade-offs. Like, mm, yeah, yeah. And I guess we all have that with the university, right? We're part of a system. Mm. Fundamentally, I'm part of a, a system that is the university, which is a neoliberal machine that, that is hugely problematic, right? But that doesn't mean I don't want to be in it and I don't want to do my work. And, and I think... Mm. I don't, I, I don't know how all of you feel about that, but it's definitely something that I've been acutely aware of since I started my PhD. And I think it's definitely something that PhD students don't necessarily get the opportunity to talk about that much because it, that fear of, like, we're, we're all so grateful for our funding that you don't want to criticise any of it. I say, as I criticize it on a public podcast, I'm not, I'm, this is something that we were going to talk about, wasn't it? I, I, I've got a whole podcast coming up on this. That we I know, I should have just I done should it. Stop. Sorry. <laughs> I think it's so funny. I often speak to students and students will say to me, you know, you're, you're very vocal on your social media and you're very vocal about your politics. And I don't see a problem with that. And I always mm. laugh and say, you know, if I'm unemployed in 10 years, I probably will reflect on it and <laughs> see a problem. With it. But I think it's, it's we often feel that we're kind of tied to the shackles of our funding in a way mm-hmm. that maybe stops us from speaking as freely as we might. And your your points ra- really raised that, Leah. I think, I don't know what about you guys, but do, do any of you ever think a lot about like where the research goes, like outside of academia? I think about that all the time. Yeah, yeah. I do. Like beyond the yeah. academy, like that just, that's always in the back of my mind as well. Yeah, and I think especially, for example, Adele, your research, like especially like stuff like that, things on contraception, things on day-to-day, things that have a huge impact on people day-to-day, that's a huge question. Yeah, and I think asked. we've found all the way through these podcasts that even research that we thought was probably mainly academic as we were lining up the podcasts yeah. turned out not to be especially mm-hmm. now when possibly sharpened by, by COVID, that so many things have, have been really ac- as, uh, not just academic. So I think academic as well is looking good. I mean, it's also looking like a middle ground of, so how, how are we all using the admittedly neoliberal setup that we're all in to, to do good work that can be used elsewhere and beyond the academy for more than just careers? to make things better and I think that makes it I think that makes the doing of the work more pleasurable have more of a point and therefore be be easier for us to do rather than feel we're just pointlessly feeding machines I never felt like I was that now I feel like you think that I'm that (laughs) very high sense of self-importance with my work (laughs) so talking about the neoliberal machine then how are you doing, like like Adele? How are you? You're at home, so how are you particularly getting on with the working from home aspect? That you didn't turn up here expecting to be sat there. Now you you might have expected to be in a room with, for example, Leah, me, and Abby. Um, we were very distracting. 
we would have been very distracting. But here we all are talking in little boxes on Zoom. So how's it going, this version of the university? It was definitely strange at first. I took a while to adjust because I went straight from waitressing straight into PhD, stuck at a desk. It was so like, oh my God, I just went from literally talking to hundreds of people to like no one. And I was like, oh my God. But um, I'm really lucky that like two of my other housemates work from home. Um, so we all have like the same lunch break. And that is like the only thing that I kind of like, I'll just do my work and then we'll just go and have lunch and then come back. And then throughout the day, me and Leah are just like FaceTiming, like, how's this going? What do you think about this? Can you tell me more about this? What do you think about this? Oh, so like, yeah, because yeah. I've already been in Liverpool for so long and I've like built those connections, I am really lucky that I do have a good support system, even though it is from home. I've got Leah on the end of the phone and then I've got my housemates. So yeah. it's it's not ideal. Like I would much rather to be, you know, in in like sort of an office space or in a on uni to be honest but it's not I'm not like hating it I'm kind of getting used to it and I feel like we're all sort of kind of just adjusting slowly um mm. not have ideal you, but. have you made contact with other PGRs that is it a, 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 yeah yeah so I'm on the the center for humanities and center for humanities and social sciences of health medicine and technology it's, it's Lena's Lena's in it yeah yeah it's a big it's a big like feminist humanities science one um, okay so what do you do what like do you guys have like reading groups um just sort of meets and stuff got a whatsapp group to just send little bits in i sent ronnie's um writing tips in there i said i've got some writing tips from someone i think you'll really like <laughs> i sent that in there um and then i've got the the light pathway from esrc and and leah how are you getting on obviously i know you're in the office now it's been okay. I think one of the positive things about the pandemic so far is like I've become a complete conference junkie. Like I've gone to so many conferences so far. I go to a conference like every single week. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's just like my version of having lectures or something. And I'm obsessed. I just like there's different ones all the time. I just log in, sit there, learn something new, like loving it. But I think one of the interesting things is like when me and Adele knew that we were going to be doing PhDs together, we were obviously, you know, like you do, you type into Google, what what can I expect from a PhD or whatever? And what kept coming up is like the loneliness of a PhD. And then I really understood it because I was like, well, I've got Adele, obviously we're both doing it together. And then I've got like support networks and this, that and the other. Obviously, COVID's happened, so that's really exasperated. But the loneliness is just crazy. Like, I, I finally understand what that what they mean by that mm. because it's just completely you. Your whole project is you. Everything you read, every decision you make is you. Like, me and Adele can have a conversation, but it's, it gets to the point where, like, whatever Adele's saying goes over my head because I'm not yep. reading what she's reading or I don't know what she's saying so I think that's really crazy and it is exasperated by COVID for sure yeah 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 I think it's 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 definitely it's something that I think everyone I think we do surface level chats about it like we we kind of like red flag it to anyone Mm -hmm. the loneliness but I don't think anyone actually ever properly talks about it because I was the same as you I'd I'd heard friends that have done PhDs talk talk of this loneliness and I was like oh how lonely can it be like I've got mates I go I go to the pub. I yeah, yeah. I know people in the department. It's fine. And you're right. I think it's it's the fact that in whatever com- because you're gonna you're an expert in that field. No matter who you're talking to, you're always going to hit a roadblock where you can't 
talk any further and get responses probably actually aside mm. from you yeah, from yeah. me and you Ronnie with yeah. our work but that definitely yeah you're right it de- I think definitely for me that was the thing that I had to get used to because I'm very much like I'm I'm someone that likes to bounce off people so I really enjoy having those conversations where you're like bam 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 yeah, and yeah. suddenly it feels yeah. like I'm like oh god did I say something that wasn't interesting like your eyes have glazed over and and actually, I think when you, and how dare they? It was definitely not That was my central point of the yeah, whole week. That was my entire thesis. <laughs> and you glazed over. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Um, I'm actually definitely not joking. But it does, it can become quite alienating. Be, yeah, alienating? Yeah. Alienating. Yeah. Because, yeah, it just kind of really emphasizes that yeah. you're going it alone. Yeah, if I can give it, a, if I can give it a title, I think it's intellectual loneliness. It's not oh. that it's not that there are no people around, and it also it also sums up in a way the good thing about a PhD, which is it's about you and it's about mm. your thoughts. Mm. Unlike all the other academic work any of us have ever done in our lives, it's not about learning the field. It's not about paying obeisance to the canon. The end result of it is what original research and original insights can you come up with about your thing? And that is that is entirely down to us. But I think, right, like on that point though, I think that the reason why we all can't, or, or many of us can't cope with that is because most PhD students that I've met like have pure imposter syndrome. Like even though PhD students are often at like the, the top of their game yeah, yeah. and have done really well to get there, we're the first people to be like, oh no, like I definitely shouldn't be here. This is, mm. I'm a bit of a fraud. I don't know as much as I, I should. Everyone knows more than me. Like, mm. I don't know whether this is just me and it's my student. No, it's taken so long. Probably only just taken, I'm still thinking that. I'm still just sat thinking in my room. Like, I'm Oh mate, I still think that three years in. And it's like, yeah. I'm only just now getting into the idea of like, no, you are actually going to do this. You're not going to drop out. Or like, yeah. you can't drop out. You are doing this. And I'm like, okay, okay, right. I didn't think I'd get this far. Like, I didn't think I'd even get the funding. Yeah. didn't think yeah. I would even apply. Like, the idea that I'm even here, I'm just like, <laughs> what is going on, honestly? It's and it's really awesome. frustrating because like, we've all worked, we all work so hard to get there and it's everything you've wanted. And then you kind of like do yourself in by letting yourself feel so mm. self, so self, self-confident, unconfident. That's definitely mm. something that I've seen. And I think you see it really clearly when you have someone alongside you that is supporting you and loves you and loves your work. And they're like, why, why are you being mm. like this? Like, you're really good at what you do, but, but you don't necessarily see it. Yeah, I think... I'm trying to do this piece. Oh, sorry. No. I've been trying to work on this piece all week and I've just been saying, just write, just write, just write. You can do it. Like, yeah, yeah. She's like I just can't do it. And like, she's putting things off and she's just focusing on this read, this writing. And I'm like, you just sit and do it. And she's like, I know, but I'm just... Um, uh, did, um, we just won't sit down and accept, like, we're actually all right at this. Just yeah, yeah. like let yourself write, let yourself think and do what you want to do. I just don't think anyone's... No told you that you can and it's just yeah but it's so in your head that you've got to just regurgitate what other people say constantly and I'm like no just if you no. want to write in first person if you want to write that way right just do it yeah, do it yeah, yeah. And, and the writing isn't the handing in you know that's know. the right the writing is just the writing yeah the handing um, in you can in edit afterwards you can change it around afterwards and you will at some point but you can't edit mm-hmm. something you haven't written in the first place 
but there does come, it seems to me, to take some time, time and confidence, like all of life. There comes a moment I've seen now in others and in myself when you just sort of realise, I actually know about this stuff now. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm not, not arrogantly saying I know more about this stuff than anyone else, but I'm at least on the panel. Yeah, you know, 100%. I wish someone had said that to me yeah. when I was in first year. If you were if you were talking on a panel, an imaginary panel, say on Zoom, we'd say four people on, and we were going to do, deal with the subject of, has Liverpool been unfairly treated, would you say, over the last 40 years? If you didn't have Abby O'Connor on that panel, then there's a big voice missing from the argument. Oh, Ronnie. Yeah, well, there is, you know, and that will apply to each of us with our separate subjects, you know. At some point, we might not feel confident at the beginning and we might not feel confident on some days right up to nearly at the end. But actually, you know, we become, and it's kind of because of the gift of time. You know, these, as I think I've said on these, one of these podcasts before, these are our golden days. We're given this gift of time to go away and think about something for ages Mm. And in the going away and thinking about something, we use all the skills that we've learned from our previous lives and academic qualifications, but we pick up some new ones. And the big new one, I think, is is the confidence that time brings to become experts on what we what we know about. I told you you were a philosopher. Yeah, yeah, I am. My favourite one. <laughs> okay. All of it. Well, on that note, shall we talk? Do we give you guys the opportunity? So we've spoken a bit about a few things that you wanted to ask us, kind of loneliness, but is there anything else that you guys want to ask us as, as first years? Anything that you were apprehensive about, nervous about? Anything that you genuinely just like, want to know the answer to because I had loads of questions in my first year that I just didn't ask anyone like really simple and loads of questions there will be coming up in part two of this same discussion when Adele and Leah turn the tables on us too